0: Hi, I'm Supernatural thriller author J.F. Penn, and you're listening to Genretainment.
1: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Genretainment at SciFiPulseRadio.com. We're your hosts, Marks.
0: And Julie, Genre Entertainment is where we talk about what's happening in the world of film, TV, books, and web series. We give you interviews with writers, directors, producers, and actors in both independent and not so independent creations. Now, this is episode one hundred and fifteen, and we are chatting with author and YouTuber Michael Laron.
1: Michael Laron writes what he calls fearless science fiction and fantasy. His writings filled with strange worlds and quirky humor, featuring unusual, non-traditional heroes such as teddy bears, Ooh. vegetables, and androids. But don't worry, not all in the same book.
0: What about a vegetable teddy bear android?
1: I, I don't know. Maybe maybe later. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Michael also writes nonfiction for authors who are stuck in the awkward phase between beginner and bestseller. He hosts the growing YouTube channel Author Level Up, which publishes writing, craft, business, and marketing videos for authors every week.
0: Now, Michael devoted himself to writing life in 2012 after he was hospitalized with a dangerous sickness. They talk about that life-changing moment and why he chose the indie author path. We also learn about his books, his YouTube channel, and he shares a number of excellent tips for any writer listening. But before we get started with the interview, we should point out that the music you just heard at the beginning of the show was a snippet from the theme song for our web series, Reality on Demand. It was a song composed and performed by our friend T. Sean Hardy you can find our web series at RealityOnDemandSeries.com. Now let's get started with our interview with Michael LeBron.
1: Well, hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hi, Marks. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I've been listening to your uh, your YouTube channel, Author Level Up. I've been really enjoying it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about your, your many books. You've been a prolific author here for the last couple of years. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about how did you get started with your writing in the first place?
2: Yeah. Well, it's great to be on the show and uh, I have to apologize in the background. I have a rampant two-year-old and she's a bit more energetic tonight than usual. Um, but yeah, I got started as as a writer. My, my career as I know it began in 2012. My wife and I went out for a gr- great dinner. We were out on the town and all of a sudden um, I ate some great food and I fell ill the next night. And it turns out I had a really bad bout of food poisoning. And I was in the hospital for a month, <laughs> long story short. The crazy thing about it was... Up until that point, I had been a writer, I had written things, but I hadn't, didn't know what the vision was, uh-huh. right? I, 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 I wrote short stories and poems, but I was just never really serious about it. And being on the hospital bed definitely makes you rethink your life, especially when you're there a month. And I swore to myself on that hospital bed that I was going to do this. I was going to be a writer. And no matter what it took, I would do it. And I would learn what I needed to learn. And I went out and did it and published my first book in 2014. So that's my start. I guess I could give you the cliche answer and say that I've always been a writer, but I guess my writer career as I know it began on the hospital bed.
1: Did you self-publish that book?
2: Yes. It, my first book was How to Be Bad, and I chose to self-publish it. And mostly because I'm not a guy that likes to play by the rules. I'd spent a lot of time in the literary world trying to you know, shop short stories and poems and manuscripts to publishers and wasn't having much luck with it. And, you know, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pick myself. I'm going to choose myself and I'm not going to pay someone or, you know, stand in line to get rejected. So <laughs> I, f- I figured I'd take my destiny into my own hands.
1: Now, would you ever decide to publish with a traditional publisher or are you just all like just, just indie o- only? It, you know, it's funny. It it would
2: have to be the right deal. Um, I have more experience with contracts and negotiating contracts than most of the other population just because of virtue of my day job. By day, I'm an insurance industry professional, and I deal with contracts pretty much on a daily basis. So I have not seen a publishing contract that honestly could be negotiated into favorable terms for me based on my career. But that doesn't mean I wouldn't do the right deal if it came across the table. But um, I prefer indie because of the control it gives me over my work. Mm -hmm. Um, I like like the fact that I can have an artistic vision. And yeah, I, I just I really enjoy that. So that's my favorite part of it.
1: Of course, when you're self-publishing or when you're an indie author, you have some upfront expenses that you wouldn't normally have. Can you talk a little bit about those uh, expenses and also some of the challenges you faced starting out? Well, any indie author is going to have two major expenses when they
2: publish their book. And the first is going to be cover design and then editing. Um, Both of those will probably cost you about a couple hundred dollars each. Those are the major upfront costs. There are the setup costs. I mean, you have to launch your website. There's Fees associated with your mailing list and things like that. But really to get started, that's that's really the upfront cost. But the best way to really think about that, and a lot of people balk at the idea of paying a lot of money to publish a book, right? That if you've never published anything before, $800 or $1,000, that makes me really nervous. But you really should think about your work as property that appreciates over time. Mm-hmm. So every book that you write, every short story that you write, it's like, property that's going to grow in value. So yes, you have to pay that 800 or $1,000 or whatever that might be, but that's going to continue earning money for you for the life of the author plus 70 years for the copyright. So, you know, an $800 investment, a thousand dollar investment pays off over time.
1: Mm-hmm. I liked your Android X cover, the first book. So
2: thank you. Um, yeah, that's the key of finding, finding good cover designers. And I had a great designer for that one. Yeah, it's very eye-catching.
1: Any other, you know, challenges you faced when you first tried to become an indie author? How did you, how did you really f- learn how to do that? Because you, because you're very knowledgeable about indie writing. Uh, you know, your, your, you're, uh, he won't say podcast because we're on a podcast right now, <laughs> but you, your YouTube channel is packed with information.
2: Yeah, I, I guess for me, um, I, I'm the kind of person that just likes to go and learn. So it's kind of funny because on author level up my youtube channel i have um a lead magnet that i just launched this morning and it's basically a list of everything i went out and learned so in 2014 i i basically sat down and looked at every area of what i thought a successful author needed to know and i made a list and i systematically went after everything on that list day by day and just learned it i just had that kind of encyclopedic personality so that comes naturally to me but the great thing about this profession Compared to maybe musicians or other professions where you have professionals, the indie author space or the publishing space is great because there are so many podcasts and so many books and so many courses and materials and resources that are available to authors at little to no cost that allow them to go out and learn, learn things, learn what I know. Learn what, uh, you know, the great authors and the great author entrepreneurs like Joanna Penn know. Never been easier than it is now to get that information and it's out there. All you have to do is look for it.
1: What genres or other works like books, TV shows have, have influenced you as an author?
2: Sure. I always love science fiction. Mm-hmm. Ray Bradbury was that author that I read and the light bulb just went up over my head. <laughs> just, I guess, I love his writing and it's just, he's the one that made me fall in love with science fiction. So Ray Bradbury was a huge influence for me. Um, I love short stories. That's how I got my start. So I love the original short story writers like Elizabeth Bowen and Bernard Malamud and a lot of the Bradbury short stories. And those influenced me. But I'd probably say my biggest influences would be video games. So the Final Fantasy series. Um It just hit me at the right time when I was growing up that it just left such an impression on me that that's had a huge impact on my work. And graphic novels and comics, I was always a huge fan of those growing up.
1: Great. I think you're the first person that said video games. Really? Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. It's first. (laughs) So, you know, what's what's your ideal writing method for your book? I I know it's probably going to vary based on what's happening in your life when you're doing that book or even approaching that story. But, you know, do you tend to be more of a plotter or a pantser? Yeah, I these days I'm more
2: of a pantser. When I wrote my first book, everything was meticulously plotted out. <laughs> I mean, I had everything planned down. The only thing I didn't plan were the sentences. And that was a pretty rigid way of writing, but now these days as I've as I've written each progressive novel, I've gotten better at becoming more efficient writing novels, and mm-hmm. most of the time these days I write my novels in three drafts. I like the the method by Dean Wesley Smith that's writing into the dark. So, I basically just I sit down, I start typing and I just follow my subconscious and I just go down the path wherever it leads me. And I find that it takes me to some really interesting places and I just go with that. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: It's a really neat book because it's the first book I've seen that kind of takes an approach towards pantsing rather than just say, go off and do whatever you want. It has has a method to it.
2: Yeah. That's the thing. I mean, I, I am above all things. I always pay very close attention to what my creative voice or my subconscious is telling me. I've learned over the years that when you get away from that, that's when you start producing work that you're not happy with. And if you're going to write work that you're not happy with, why do it, right? And so that's the, the greatest part is being able to sit down every day and just kind of see where my brain takes me. It's just tons of fun.
1: How long does it take you to, to write one of your books? It, it depends. <laughs> it's a big fat
2: depends. Um, nonfiction, I usually write a little bit faster. Um, fiction... you know. It, it, it it's it's a big question mark if it's an interactive novel that takes a lot longer, but um probably a few months per novel.
1: You have a day job. Is it is it tough to find time to write?
2: No, it's actually not for me. And one of the things that I've I've done early on when I chose this lifestyle, I, I said that I would eliminate anything in my life that did not have to do with writing. So I'm a pretty boring guy on the weekends, honestly. <laughs> um, my wife and I, we, 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 have family time and, and all of that. But, um, you know, writing and family is, is really the big thing for me. Um, I wake up every morning at 4 30 AM. So that is the time when I, I know that I'm guaranteed to have quiet in the house. Uh-huh. So I write from 4:30 to the time it's time for me to go to work about eight o'clock and I go to work and I have a pretty demanding day job. Can't, get, can't get any writing done there. And, um, I come home and have family time, dinner, do some housework. And uh, when it's time to put my daughter to bed, I usually write for about an hour, hour and a half before it's time to go to bed. So all in all, on an average day, I probably have about three hours to write, maybe more, maybe less, depending on if you know I'm sick. And if you do the math on that, that's three hours a day times seven, that's 21 hours times four, which is 84. So I have 84 hours a month, you know, that I can use to write. And when you think about it like that, that's a whole heck of a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And um, I've on on that budget of time, I've used that over the last couple of years to write over 20 books, um, almost 100 short stories, almost 100 poems, growing YouTube channel on author level up where I've published almost 100 videos. So it's just a testament to what you can do when you really just sit down and have a laser like focus on your career.
1: Now we're going to talk a little bit real quick here about decision select novels, your dis- decision select novels, which is like, uh, choose your own fate, uh, choose your own adventure type books, which I always loved. Before we talk too much about how you make those, how long do those take? Cause I imagine that interactive element having to map that out would be a little harder.
2: They take about twice as long, but yeah, they're labors of love. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about them. What what are they?
2: Yeah. Well, you kind of alluded to the the, Genesis. Uh, probably a lot of people listening to this have read the Choose Your Own Adventure novels as kids. Um, I read them myself in the 90s and just fell in love with them. And I was just captivated by the way that they told stories in such a unique and innovative way. And those are some of the books that really made me fall in love with fiction as a young boy. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people probably had that same opinion of the books. And you know, a couple of years ago, I was just sitting around one day. You know, his ideas come into my head, and I was thinking, whatever happened to those novels? You know, I, I hadn't really seen them since the '90s, and mm-hmm. I went and looked for them, and I just wanted to know, like, what is the author of those choose-your-own-adventure books doing now? And are there any of these books for adults? And I didn't find very much. I found that the books were in ebook form, but um, you know, the ebook versions were kind of a little, you know, they were a little awkward, and it, the genre really didn't age that well. And so I thought, well, what would it be like if there was an interactive novel for adults that took advantage of e-readers and e-reading technology because it was kind of a new area. No one had really there had been a couple people that had dabbled with it, but most of the books were variations on the choose your own adventure genre. Mm-hmm. So, I sat down and thought, well, what how can I do that? What would an interactive novel in the 21st century look like? And I wrote a book that was specifically for the ebook audience and I did some deviations from the genre that uh, are a lot different from the choose your adventure novels but also pay pay homage to it. So one of the things that make my decision-select novels, and that's what I call them, decision-select novels, kids choose, adults decide. Um, (laughs) So that's kind of the branding for that. But they take – instead of the second-person point of view, they take place in the head of a character, a a well-established character, and the reader makes decisions for that character. So, for example, in How to Be Bad, which is um, one of my decision-select novels, I describe that as an ethical train wreck on every page. <laughs> it's about a woman who makes a, accidentally makes a deal with a demon, and she has to steal the souls of three innocent people in order to break the contract. And, you know, she's this really nice girl. She's, she's kind of a doormat. You know, someone steals her job from underneath her, and, you know, she can't stand up for herself. And this demon shows up one day and says, hey, I'll, I'll help you get revenge. So she falls for it, and then all of a sudden she's roped into this contract where she has to steal these souls. Well, she's this really nice girl, so how is she going to do this? And there's all kinds of ethical dilemmas that she has to do to figure out how she's going to break this contract, but is she going to steal the souls? And um, it's a lot of fun, and there's just a lot of interactive elements that, you can, that I could do, like micro decisions and really rapid decisions that almost simulate a video game, in a sense, that you just can't do in print. So... I even have a full game show within How to Be Bad. It's, it's actually a real game show that the reader plays and plays against contestants. And the contestants do different things depending on your decisions. So it's oh, just wow. a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> it only took you twice longer. I think that would take me forever.
2: <laughs> yeah, twice as long. Well, you know, if you have the right tools for the job, it it, it, takes, it takes less time. You know, I was talking to one of my, my editor for that book. He used to write Choose Your Own Adventure-esque Books back in the day, mm-hmm. and he was telling me he used like drafting software that like, like engineers use, <laughs> and he mm-hmm. he was telling me how how much of a nightmare that was to to write and to plan. And these days, I guess you use Scrivener, which is the um, you know most writers' program of choice these days, mm-hmm. and that just allows you to stack decisions and just a v- very clever use of linking between documents within a document, mm-hmm. and it's pretty easy to put together, easier than you might think.
1: Is that how you got the links? Because, you know, you choose certain segments and it jumps you around. Yeah. That's cool. Have you ever read the Lone Wolf books? I have not. You should try that out sometime. I mean, they're old books, but uh, they are like choose-your-own-adventure type thing, but they have uh, like a random numbering element to it <clears throat> and stats. So it's like like a super light role-playing game mixed in with choose your own fate thing. It's the only thing I've ever seen like that, but uh, I think you'd find it interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. It, it, it's amazing, like the... The interactive fiction genre is definitely growing. There's a lot more people writing it now than in the past. So mm-hmm. the sky's the limit, really.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And you have two of them out, right? Or, or is there more?
2: Yep, I have two. How to Be Bad is the first one. And then I have another uh, called Festival of Shadows. And that is a fantasy. It's um, about a teddy bear who has to rescue his owner from the boogeyman. <laughs> and he chases him into a nightmare world and has to rescue him by sun sunrise. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't, then all kinds of heck breaks loose. And so... <laughs> All the characters in that book are toys. It's um, I describe it as Toy Story meets David Boy's Labyrinth. Uh-huh. And so all of the decisions are more playful. And Theo is a headstrong teddy bear. He's bold and you know just very hard to get along with because he's got a hero complex and all he cares about is rescuing his owner. And he has to face all these different challenges and all these evil toys that um, don't want him to succeed. So <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun and it, um, a lot more action packed as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a sequel to Festival of Shadows coming out next year.
1: Oh, cool. So as people are listening to this, they can start to learn that you have some really creative concepts. And and that continues in your other fiction work because you have Android X and Eaton. Can you talk a little bit about those?
2: Sure. And uh, Android X and Eaton are my traditional <laughs> novels. I say, quote, traditional. Uh, <laughs> as you just read them straight through, there's no interactive elements. But um, Eaton is funny because in a lot of ways, it's my origin story. When I was on the hospital, I was on a lot of painkillers and I was doped up on morphine and I was having these crazy hallucinations. And I just, I wanted a hamburger. Like that's, you know, it's funny when you're in the hospital, you have these weird cravings, you know, because you're on li- <laughs> a liquid diet. And, um, one day I just had this hallucination of this giant hamburger sitting on, the, on my windowsill and he wanted me to s- escape from the hospital room. <laughs> um, and I just remember that so vividly and like that that just made me think like what 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 would a novel with food as characters look like? And that's kind of how the story was born. Eaton essentially is about a, – it's a story about a group of vegetable terrorists attempting to take down an empire of processed foods. And so it takes place in the world of food. A lot of the characters are personified. There's an empire of processed foods who's basically on the verge of taking over the world. They have basically destroyed the vegetable kingdom. They've destroyed the fruit kingdom. Processed foods live in this giant futuristic city. And vegetables live there as second-class citizens. And the hero of the story, Brock, who's broccoli with a bad boy temperament, um, (laughs) he he wants revenge against Sodius, who's the leader of the processed foods, for killing his sister. And so he is fighting against them and it's inspired by Final Fantasy VII. It's got elements from kind of my favorite RPGs, some of my favorite stories, and it's kind of a mix mash of a lot of different elements, but it's, it's quirky, it's funny, and it's also dark at the same time. It's kind of my style of writing. Very cool. It's kind of weird. I know, but that's what a lot of people say. Oh, that's, that sounds really weird. But when they read it, they like it. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) are you ever wanting to turn any, any of these into video games? Oh, absolutely. I think Eaton would be an
2: awesome RPG, kind of like Final Fantasy. That's kind of my dream, I think, is to, to write a video game someday, right. particularly an RPG in that style. I just think that'd be a blast, just the cinematics and um, battle systems, and I think that would be really fun to design.
1: And what about Android X? What's that about?
2: Yeah, Android X is um, completely different. <laughs> it's a futuristic story with androids, naturally, because of the title.
1: Is it Android uh, Food?
2: No, not android food. No <laughs> android food. Some people, when I describe my books, they say, well, you have androids and vegetables and teddy bears in the same book. No, no.
0: <laughs> I have, <laughs> I
2: have, have to get book. that disclaimer. They're <laughs> not all in the same book. <laughs> but this is, uh, takes place in the year 2300. And um, humanity has just survived a devastating singularity. And humans and androids live in peace. And there's a one world government. Everything's good. There's an android army that protects the world. And one day things go rogue. Um, and android goes rogue and starts killing a bunch of people. And the hero of the story X is a secret agent who's an android and he's him and his partner are investigating the crimes and trying to figure out number one, why the android went rogue and number two, who's behind it. And that just leads to this, uh, great techno thriller with a lot of action explosions
1: and android battles. And his human sidekick is called shortcut.
2: Yeah. His human, his human sidekick is called shortcut. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Where'd you come up with that name? Cause I, I mean, even the character has someone teasing about it. Like what, what's your real name?
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a line in the book where uh, he, he doesn't want to give his real name. So they ask him what his real name is. And he says, Mr. Shortcut. <laughs> 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 yeah. I just came up with that name. I, I, I like finding weird and unique names that describe a character. Um, I actually keep a notebook of interesting names that I come across. So if I hear something that I think, I think that would be an interesting name for a novel. I jot it down and, use it for a later date
1: cool so is it because he likes to get those artificial enhancements like taking a shortcut is that the idea and exactly okay. yeah the,
2: the shortcut is a uh, human who wants to be an android and he mm-hmm. buys a lot of artificial enhancements and um you know just wants to enhance his body and he likes to take shortcuts too so he's kind of one that he's a little naive and ma- immature at times so yeah that 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 kind of describes it perfectly.
1: And tell us a little bit more about your short stories and poetry.
2: Yeah, that they're how I got my start and <laughs> my humble beginnings. You know, it's funny. A couple of years ago, I, there was a time when I said I would never write a short story. Mm-hmm. I only wrote poetry. So I got my start in college. I got the bug by writing some poems and just loved it. And I was writing poems, going ho-hum and you know, life was great, life was grand, and I said I would never write a short story. And uh, one of my good writer friends said, "No, no, man, you really should. You, you, I think you would enjoy it." And so he he twisted my arm and wrote some short stories and found out that I liked them. First stories were pretty horrible, but it was fun. And then I said I would never write a novel. <laughs> and now, you know, fast forward to now, and I have over ten of them. But um, it's just great because short stories and poetry allow you to practice your craft. So with poetry, I learned to really be clear and crisp and specific with my imagery. Mm -hmm. So when I'm describing something, using just the right words to convey a tone right, or a color or give give a sense of what a character is seeing, poetry is great for that. And it exercises your mind in a different way than writing a novel. And short stories are great because they let you practice different elements of the craft. So, for example, if you wanted to experiment on a story with second-person point of view, or if you wanted to practice writing in the Western genre, and your normal genre might be science fiction, you could write a short story. And you learn a lot in that small period of time, and if it doesn't work out, the only thing you're out is, you know, a few hours of your time. So I write short stories because they keep me on top of my craft, and um, the poetry helps keep me on top of describing things, so that when I get to my novels, I'm at the top of my game.
1: Do you release your short stories online, or are they? Uh, do you collect them in, in books?
2: Yeah, I have one short story collection out on the market right now. Um, I do submit them to professional magazines in hopes of publication. That's one area of my business that's uh, cash flow <laughs> section because mm-hmm. you know short stories magazines do pay pretty good money these days. But those that don't end up getting accepted, I usually will end up collecting those, so so my readers can buy them, and I'll, or I also give them away on my
1: mailing list too
2: for as a
1: bonus. So novels, short stories, poetry, interactive fiction, you know, is there any other formats that you've done or you want to do like script writing or, or writing a play?
2: Yeah, I would I would love to do all of those one day, but what I find is when I get away from my core core, which would be fiction,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um I have to dial myself back in. I I had the chance to write a screenplay earlier this year, but I, I said no because I it just dilutes my focus. So, but long term, you know, I, the the writers that I most admire when I was growing up were the ones who were versatile. Robert Louis Stevenson, for example, he's the author who wrote Treasure Island. You know, he's just an amazing novel. He wrote everything. He wrote novels. He wrote short stories. He wrote poetry. He wrote plays. He wrote essays. And I just was mesmerized by that. And I that's, that's, that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I just wanted to be able to to be a writer and experience, you know, the different elements of writing everything. So I would love to write a play. I think that'd be a lot of fun, and um, I think an essay collection, like a nonfiction, would be a lot of fun, too, down the road. And you have
1: some nonfiction books, right?
2: Yes. I've written a couple nonfiction books. I've written a couple for poets, and I've written some nonfiction books for authors to help them be professionals in their careers.
1: Mm -hmm. And so let's go back to your YouTube channel, Author Level Up. You know What motivated you to jump from writing a book to starting your own YouTube channel? When I started out,
2: I... I struggled because as I mentioned earlier in the podcast interview, there's tons of information out there and that's a blessing. (laughs) It's also a curse because there's a lot of information out there. A lot of it's good, but a lot more of it is bad. And when you're just starting out, it's very hard to discern between the two when you don't have the benefit of wisdom and experience to go through it. And I made a lot of mistakes when I started out. I didn't know anything about covers. I, you know, just didn't know about the way that you should approach being a business person as an author because that's what you have to be to succeed in this new world of publishing and so i made a lot of missteps i took advice that wasn't necessarily bad it just was bad for me and so one of the things that i wish that i would have had was that filter right that ability to discern between good and bad advice that flashlight that. You know, shines through the darkness that to show me whether something would be a mistake or not. And so I created Author Level Up, which is my YouTube channel, as a way to help other authors who are just starting out and other authors who are established in their careers level up to the next part in their career. And I wish it was the resource that I would have had when I was just starting out. So... I do videos three times a week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and I do writing craft videos to help you take your writing craft to the next level, and I try to cover things that aren't covered elsewhere, and Fridays, I do business videos to help authors be more savvy entrepreneurs and learn the business of being an author, so I give business lessons, and then on Saturdays, I do marketing tips, ways to recoup your investment.
1: And there's a lot of great videos there. I've been watching your channel the last few Thank weeks, you. and one of my favorites is the 10 plots one, like where you outline 10 different kind of approaches to plotting. I had to take a little bit of gathering information there. (laughs) What's a couple of your favorite videos so far you've done?
2: Sure. Well, that would be on the list. Um, The the one you're referring to, um, I did a video. It's called 10 Different Ways to Outline Your Novel. So one thing authors love to do is outline, right? I'm no exception. And when I was starting out, I found that there were tons of different ways to outline and tons of different ways to approach your story. You know, you could take a character focus, you could take a story focus, you could take you know, one of the methods starts with writing your product description first, which is, you know, hard to think of <laughs> hard to think about, you know, when you don't have a novel, but there's so many different ways to do it. And so I studied all of them and I, I practiced all of them, believe it or not, um, in my short stories and in my novels. And so I thought a great idea for a video would just be talking about all of them. So right. I I just go through each of the 10 major, there's more, there's al- always more, um, but 10 of the major ways that you can outline a novel in today's world of publishing. And I talk about them and um, give examples of different plots. And yeah, that one's a lot of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a really yeah. good one. Is there another favorite of yours that stands out to you? I have yeah, done get... a lot of them, but. Yeah, done,
2: I, I have done, I've done a lot of videos, um, but the ones that that definitely stand out, I can think of two more, and um, one of them is on the writing software Ulysses. Have you heard of that?
1: I saw your video. I hadn't heard of it until your video.
2: Yeah, well, for those about out there who use Scrivener, which is I mentioned earlier, you know, many writers favorite program of choice. Ulysses is a competitor in the space, which is very interesting because it allows you to basically do all the things that Scribner lets you do. But it's got a really elegant interface. It syncs across all of your devices. So it uses iCloud. So you can write on your Mac and then pick up your iPod and start where you left off. Um, and it has a mobile version on your iPhone, which is fantastic as well. And Ulysses helped me double my word counts. And I, I love the software so much that I did a video on it. Just basically showing people how to use it and allowing them to see it so that they can see how it affect their author career. So that's been one of my most popular videos to date. And another video I'll mention that I really enjoyed that's just one of my personal favorites is uh, it's called Unconfidence. So as part of my job, I, I attended a seminar you know, my day job in insurance, <laughs> I attended the seminar where uh, one of the guys was talking about just business lessons that apply to insurance and, and how to be a consummate professional in everything that you do. And he was talking about confidence and how there are four kinds of different confidence. And when he was talking about it, it really resonated with me as something that would apply to authors, right? There's the technical confidence, which, you know, it, it's just how to write a book, right? Mm-hmm. How do you tell a story? How do you build a website? You know, the really hands-on technical stuff. There's the relational confidence, which is how you give a podcast interview, how you relate to other people, you know, interpersonal sort of things, extroverted behaviors, right? And then there's the influential. So it's your ability to influence other people to make mutual wins. So that's, that's an important confidence to have. Some people don't have that. And then there's the self-confidence, right? It's your ability to have faith in yourself, um, even when things aren't going very well and to just know that you have the ability to see whatever it is that you're doing through. And so I made a video on that, relating that to authors and the author life. And that's been a pretty popular video
1: too. Yeah, it's great. I think a lot of authors or writers or or filmmakers, artists pretty much, you know, have to deal with uh, their self-confidence wavering at times. So we talked a little bit earlier about the YouTube channel, why you started up, because you Uh, You had a hard time finding solid information sometimes. Is there one piece of advice out there that you've heard that, uh, that you really would caution authors, like up and coming authors to perhaps not listen to, or at least consider really carefully? Well,
2: I could be here all night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I really could. I really could. Um, and I guess I have to be sort
2: of politically correct in, in how I frame this. But one of the things that I would caution people against is the idea that, um, writing is like writing is like a shark right you have to release a book and then that book's going to sink like a stone so you have to keep swimming in order to stay afloat you do it is all about product it's all about releasing new works but i think some authors tend to focus too much on the marketing and promotion side they think that if a book is not selling all of a sudden they freak out and all of a sudden have to figure out what ads they can buy you know where can i put the book you know who who do i have to email you know, to get the book to sell. And there's just this, this crazy urgency that a lot of authors have right now. And I just caution them against that because when you're, when you're in a hurry, when you're urgent, that's when you tend to make mistakes that you're going to regret five to 10 years from now. So what I would tell people is just focus on finding that passion Write what you love. <laughs> don't pay attention to what the market is doing. Don't write books, you know, just because, don't write Western just because Westerns are hot. Write Westerns because you love to write Westerns. And your, your, your books will find a market. So that's what I would tell people. And, and just that it, it, it might take a little bit longer than you think, but five to 10 years from now, it's, it's going to be worth it.
1: Mm-hmm. How about, if you don't mind sharing a couple more writing tips? Uh, sure. Perhaps one that's more craft oriented and one's a little more business oriented. You bet. Well, craft
2: oriented, I would always say that there are nuanced layers to learning. So just when you think you know something, something will happen that makes you realize how little you know about that thing. (laughs) Um, For a lot of authors, that could be book covers. It could be ebook formatting with a lot of EPUB standards or how to format a paperback. Just keep your mind open to learning, especially when it comes to writing stories and writing craft. There are a lot of things that they seem very simple on their surface, like how to open a story, for example, or how to plot a novel. Perfect example that we've talked about, right? Mm-hmm. They seem simple on the surface and, and it's easy to say, okay, well, yeah, story has to have a beginning, middle end. Next next thing, please. Well, it's, it's actually not that simple. <laughs> you know, don't confuse simple with easy. Um, there, there are a lot of things that you're going to learn over the course of your career as a craftsperson, as, as an artist, um, different tools that you can use in your toolbox and just I just caution a lot of people and I, I advise them because keep your mind open and never think that you know it all, because just when you think that, that's a very dangerous mindset to have. You just have to keep learning. There's a million things to learn. And, and I personally enjoy that. I enjoy the fact that it's kind of overwhelming, like all the things that you have to learn to be a successful author, um, from writing the book to soft skills. And I just I like that challenge. That's that's exciting to me. And I guess I would say uh, for another business task, I would say it's hard to learn business, but the best way you can learn about business and how to be a savvy entrepreneur or creative person is to see what other businesses are doing, pull the bits and pieces from that that are interesting and apply those to your business. So for example, um, I, I guess here in here in the States, there's a show called Shark Tank. And I know there's different variations across the across the globe but I love that show and the reason I love it is because you know entrepreneurs come up into a room of you know five different investors and they pitch their startup ideas and it's so interesting and fascinating to listen to the investors poke holes or ask questions about their businesses in a very perceptive and astute way that really make you think about hey that's interesting yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting way to think about marketing or it's an interesting way to think about your product or how to position things. So that's really interesting. And there's a lot of business-oriented reality television that's great for that too, like Hotel Impossible. Um mm-hmm. if anyone's ever seen that, this he's a hotel hotel guy. I mean, he's he's a master of hotels and service and he's just hotel magnate and he goes into these hotels and he tells all these people exactly what's wrong. And he has some really, really interesting ideas and insights that you can totally apply to being an author. So that's what I would say. If you're struggling with learning business, look at other businesses and see what they're doing. Take out what applies to you, but don't, don't buy everything wholesale (laughs) because there's some, there's some business advice out there that that's not really good for authors too, but that just comes with experience and wisdom.
1: And what are you currently working on or have you just released?
2: Yeah, I'm currently working on my upcoming fantasy series called Old Dark. That's about a fallen dragon lord who's seeking revenge on the conspiracy that overthrew him. So that's going to be fun. That's uh, definitely the most different thing I've ever written. And that'll be launching um, late August.
1: Awesome. So you have a lot of protagonists that are different different uh, species. <laughs> <laughs> Is that ever challenging to you? Should I get in their head a little bit? It, it,
2: it is it can be um it's fun though because you really start thinking like it it, it it's like using a different muscle right like i have to think and not so much about how a human would react but what would a dragon say in this situation and what would a dragon's history look like how would a dragon see the world and i think that's a great exercise for any person in the creative arts is try not to just get in the head of humans what would it be like if you were inside the head of a wine bottle, for example. Hans Christian Andersen did that in a short story once. He wrote a story about a wine bottle with a personality. It was crazy. It sounds crazy, but it was awesome. And so that kind of thing inspires me. And I, I, I am drawn to the head-turning, non-human protagonist types. <laughs> so dragons, teddy bears, vegetables, um, that's my brand. And I would just tell people that uh, it, it's fun to try to step outside of the box.
1: All right. And where can our listeners find you and your work online?
2: You can find my fiction at www.michaellauron.com, And if you sign up from a mailing list there, you get a free sampler, starter library that has samples of all of my books in it. And if you're interested in my YouTube channels or any of the author advice that I've given in this podcast episode, you can go to www.authorlevelup.com. And that links up to my YouTube channel and you can watch all the
1: videos there. Yeah, I would encourage everybody to check it out. I'm really loving your uh, YouTube channel. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Marks. Hi, I'm Dean Wesley Smith,
2: USA Today best-selling writer of well over 100 novels and 17 million copies in print. And you are listening to Genretainment.
0: Well, thanks to Michael for chatting with Marks, and sorry I wasn't able to make the call to join in the fun.
1: Yeah, and if you're an author or wannabe, be sure to check out his YouTube channel. Now, before we go, we want to remind you that you can always keep track of us by subscribing to us on iTunes or Stitcher, or by following our Genretainment Facebook page. My Twitter account, which is at Mr. Marks. It's M-R-M-A-R-X. Our website at genretainment.com or follow all the shows at sci-fi-pulse-radio.com. we
0: will be back soon with all new guests from our favorite films, TV shows, novels, and web series.
1: John Entertainment is a production of Alien Jungle Bug Productions. Until, Until next
0: time. time. monkey